All right, so we are going to deal with some, well, a very, very popular person in political realms who said something about, well, why he doesn't accept Jesus as the Messiah. I think I'm going to disagree with him. Just a thought. Welcome to the Rap Report with Andrew Rappaport, where we provide biblical interpretations and applications. This is the ministry of Striving for Eternity and the Christian podcast community. For more content or to request a speaker for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. All right, so we are back with another wrap report. Thanks for joining with us. We got our regular crew here. And before we get too far in, we're gonna we like to try to let folks know about other podcasts, other things. And before we go too far, we got Vincent and John here, and I think there is some news. Is it true? Is it true? Is the council finally back? I can either confirm or deny that. <laughs> I can confirm it. You guys started out, you're doing a lot of evangelism, a lot of reaching out to cults and things like that, different religions. But now you guys at some point started to do podcasting and getting a bunch of guys getting together discussing topics. You've kind of been in hiatus for a long time, but is the council back in session? It is. Yeah, we had a lot of life happening with a lot of members, so we kind of had to back off for a while. But looks like we're trying to, we're, we're getting together. We, we got a lot of shows planned and... Hopefully, we'll be able to regularly uh, record them. And so right now, it's not in a podcast format, but uh, you guys post it. We have a website, spirited-tech.com slash C-O-G, capital C, capital O, capital G. Put a link in the show notes. The council, uh, when it wasn't a podcast form, and maybe it'll get there again, was pretty informative, a lot of good discussion. Uh, you know, you'd end up talking to atheists, kind of like Matt Slick and I did once when we were used to do a show together, where you get atheists that would argue like this. This will bring you back, John, if you remember this one. You said statements either true or false. I gave you a statement, and you said it doesn't apply. Not too bad. It's not so a- only two bad statements would be either true or false. So is it true that I'm talking to you? Is it true? That is a true statement? I'm talking to you? Is that true? Yes. Okay. Is it true that babies exist? Um. Well, I mean, how, babies how far exist. are you going to go down the skeptical? Babies uh, exist. Is, babies exist. Is that true or is it not the case that it's true? Uh, I, would, I mean, if you want to go down the, you know, if you want to be very strict about it, I would be uh, skeptical about it. Okay, we're done talking. <laughs> And, and that was a great conversation that we had. And and John, is, we had many of the members of the council in on that day. And that was when you kind of lost it when a guy couldn't even admit that babies exist. <laughs> the ridiculousness, the absurdity of what some atheists will go through to deny God. It's Yeah, it's amazing what an atheist will argue because they want to suppress the truth. And uh, so if folks, I would encourage you to go out. We'll have the link in the show notes for the council. A lot of good content out there. And so that's something we're going to recommend. Once in a while, you're listening to a podcast and sometimes you hear things and you hear things from other podcasters and all of a sudden you go, wait a minute, I think I know what they're talking about. Well, I was listening to a podcast and well, this is what I heard. Okay. I am very sorry that I called you a loser. Please forgive me. This is Wretched Radio. I've been informed by the powers that be, meaning my conscience, that probably wasn't 
I wasn't intending to say you're like, you know, pathetic loser, but you lost because you didn't win the Ray Comfort book, Way of the Master, which is a student training guide for evangelism. Youth pastor might want to use it. Train your kids, and I suspect some of them might just get saved in the process. We could all use some training on evangelism. You didn't win that, but you could win these books, which I hold in my hands. Forwarded by Phil Johnson. Don't forget, you can hear Phil Johnson on Too Wretched for Radio, and you can hear McGrace Life Pulpit. Magnificent preaching. Absolutely magnificent. The book is written by one Andrew R. Rappaport. I did not know this about Andrew. He was Jewish. I mean, he you know, still is Jewish, ethnically, but now he's a believer, pastor, and a good writer. The first book is called What Do We Believe? A Systematic Theology of the Christian Faith. It's just very basic stuff. This is this new believers need this. Frankly, we need reminders on these things. We, we, we need to be going back and remembering the basics of the faith and not graduating from them. Like, yeah, I already got the whole omnipotence thing. No, no, keep studying it. Excellent book for that creation of man, the nature of God the nature of human beings, justification, propitiation, grace alone. It's called What Do We Believe? A Systematic Theology of the Christian Faith. I do believe you can get it at Striving for Eternity Ministries, strivingforeternity.org. Send me an email saying, I'd like this book, and I will send it to you for free, and then you won't be a loser anymore. I'm sorry. I wasn't supposed to. That was to. much better. I Second but, one, but by making the call for people to uh, to try to win the book, then you're creating more losers. You then I'm are the source of the loser, here, Joey. Oh. Look, if you want to look at the cup as being half empty, <laughs> knock yourself out. I prefer in the water to say there's the now going to be two winners. What do they believe? A systematic theology of major Western religions by Andrew Rappaport. This one isn't as good because, well, the foreword wasn't written by Phil Johnson. <laughs> Nevertheless, it covers the basics. And it's the formula is really important. When you study a world religion, if you look, if you want to go way down, down, deep, deep, deep to understand that religion, you can do that. But if you remember some of the basics, like, okay, what is their source of authority? Where do they get this stuff? Who wrote it? And so the first chapter in this book is about Judaism. Where do they get their authority? The Torah, the Midrash, the Mishnah, the Talmud, rabbinic law. In other words, lots of sources. What do they believe about God? What do they believe about Jesus Christ? What do they believe about sin. In other words, man, what do they believe about salvation? That's really all you need to know about every major religion. And you kind of, it's like, okay, I got it. And then you're reminded that Christianity just stands so alone. Everything else, everything else is workspace, everything else, including aberrant forms of Christianity always works. Cause that's man's, that's just our bent. I'll do this. I'll get the job done. Give me credit because it's me. And so every religion that isn't Christianity has that type of system except for biblical Christianity, grace alone, faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. If you'd like this book, what do they believe? A systematic theology of major Western religions. It would be our delight to send these books to you for free. You winner, you. (laughs) All right. So I was surprised when all of a sudden I was listening to Retro Radio and heard that. And uh, you can get those, both those books at strivingforeternity.org. The guys that are over at the Growth Project Radio were talking about my books and 
I think they captured it, that there's a lot of people who write theology at a very high level and not too many people that are writing it the way I'm trying to do it for everybody so that we have people who come into church and do not want to read something as thick as John MacArthur's biblical doctrine or Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. It just, it's, it's scary. And I wanted something that could be used in a Sunday school class, something that could be used in, in small groups to teach theology to everyone. And so I, well, okay, I do use some of the big theological words, but I define them. And we will be having some news about what do they believe soon. Coming soon, I'm going to have an announcement about that book that will be, oh, maybe a, a month away, well, shall we say. So be looking forward. For that, be listening to the rap report. By the way, are you subscribed to the rap report? Are you like just listening this the first time and going, well, okay, hey, this is pretty cool, but like I want to listen every week. You can actually subscribe to this podcast every week. You can go to whatever app you have that listens for podcasts and just search for rap report. That's with two P's, rap report and subscribe. You could share it with your friends. We would love that. Uh, you can also write some reviews for us on iTunes. There is a link in the show notes to where you could do that. So what I'd like to do is to, well, I want to play a video for us and I'd like us to go through that and well, I have a funny feeling that we're going to have a little bit, just a little bit of discussion that is going to come out of this. So this is why Ben Shapiro does not accept Jesus as the Messiah. And so we want to play this. We're going to talk through this. Obviously, just for the record, um, as you heard earlier that Todd had mentioned, I am from a Jewish background. I'm not a, a token Jewish person or fake Jewish person. I actually was bar mitzvahed. I was in Hebrew school from the age of five to the age of about 15. So, you know, I, I gave up Hebrew basically like most of my friends as soon as I could and, and didn't have to learn it anymore and study it anymore. But I'm saying that to say I'm not someone who just had a Jewish family, but didn't actually practice. We, we practiced, we, uh, well, my, my father was raised Orthodox. So was my mother. Um, we eventually became conservative, which for folks who don't know, conservative is actually liberal. And, and, and then I, you know, we ended up going full on reformed, which is super liberal. So I actually went through kind of all three stages of Judaism. And, uh, but I'm saying that to say this, that I'm not trying to make a false appeal to authority as we go through this. I don't want it to seem like I'm saying that, oh, I'm Jewish. I can speak as an authority on everything on Judaism. I don't study Judaism as much as Ben Shapiro does for the record. Uh, I did write a book, What Do They Believe? And I did cover Judaism, but I, I don't study it like Ben Shapiro does. And, Quite frankly, Ben Shapiro doesn't study Christianity like I do. And so he would be a better expert in many areas when it comes to Judaism. However, there's some things he's going to say that we're probably going to take issue with. So let's play this and see how far we get. I was curious, by the way, that you know the ancient Jews, the show, you don't go anywhere after your, your death, right? Yeah, the, the idea of the afterlife is, uh, is a pretty modern invention in Judaism. Okay, we only got nine seconds in. And by the way, for the record, I'm playing this at 1.25 speed, just for folks to realize, sped up a little bit so we get through it. But he said this is a modern, modern view in Judaism, right? Um, well, you know, there are, there's a couple words for what we would call hell in Judaism. 
And one of them that is used early on is called Sheol, the place of the dead. How early is that? That's as early as Genesis 37:35. If this is a modern day thing, Ben, it's used pretty early, like in the very first book of the Bible in the book of Genesis. So I don't think it's all that modern. Now, we're not going to have the time to go into a full discussion of how Sheol, how uh, Henam, or sometimes Gehenna, is referring to an eternal place of torment. We're going to get through some of it. I can't flesh that completely out in one podcast, but as we look through what Sheol is, how it's described, and when you look through Gehenna, how it's described, we see that it is a place that is a place of punishment, and it is a place, I'm going to argue, that is eternal. Where do we see that it is eternal? Well, I am going to see that in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Daniel 12, verse 2 says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. So what you see in Daniel chapter 2 is two groups of people. The people who sleep, that's a reference to death. Those who are dead are grouped into two different groups of people. Some having eternal life. The others that have an eternal life or an everlasting life, the others have an everlasting contempt. So what you have when you do interpretation, you have two things being compared to each other. Some are in one category, some are in the other. The everlasting is in the same context. So if everlasting life means that you have life everlasting, without death, without an end, then that contempt that is referred to here is likewise everlasting. You can't separate those two. Now, Ben is going to say that that is from a later prophet. He's going to say that in a sec. But when he says this is an early notion, well, it's as early as Moses, which is pretty much as early as the law, because that's where we got the law from Moses. So, Here you have even before Moses, because Moses is the one to write it down, but in Genesis 37, when it speaks of Sheol, this is before Moses' time, okay? So this is back in the time with, you know, with Joseph and his brothers. So that's the reality that you have here, okay? This is not something that's later. So Ben, please continue. Yeah. It really it really only crops up historically speaking a little bit in the prophets and it's usually the late prophets right. and it's and it's really maybe as a response to early christianity or or right. greek thought. So yeah. Okay. So let's deal with that. There's a lot right there that he said. Now, he's just said, let me just put this out there for Ben Shapiro. If if Ben Shapiro would like to come onto our program and have a discussion on this, not a debate. I'm not interested in having a debate over this. But if you want to come on and and discuss this, look, you are study Judaism way more than I do. I would I'd value the insight you'd have. There'd be not it, it wouldn't be a contentious thing like he has in the political realm. <laughs> in politics, he he has a lot of debates, and and he's an excellent debater. I would I'd probably you know in, in debate tactics he, he'd do well. But Ben, if you would want to come on and discuss it, I'd be happy to discuss these things in way more detail with you. I think it'd be very edifying to many people on both sides of our camp, uh, whether Christian or non or, or Jewish. Now here's the thing: he said that much of this was in the later in the later. Prophets. And some of it, did you hear? Let me rewind this because this becomes 
something I don't know that he picked up on that he said. This was a response to Christianity and Greek thought. Maybe as a response to early Christianity or, or right. Greek thought. So, yes. Okay. So, a simple thing. The Old Testament canon was closed about 400 years before Christ. There were no Christians until after Christ died, which was about 33 A.D., or ACE, if you want to do a Jewish way of reckoning the time after the common era. And so what you'd have is at least about probably 35, maybe 40 ACE is where you first have the word Christian showing up. And so when he says this may have been a response, well, if it's showing up in the prophets, it's absolutely not a response to Christianity in any way. It can't be because Christians didn't exist then. There were no Christians at the time of the writing of the prophets. And so when he says that the, the prophets wrote this, maybe in a response to early Christianity, I think what he may be doing is, and I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt, he might be referring to the Talmud. The Talmud was being written and is a response to early Christianity. And we do see, I think, in the Talmud, some changes in the view of hell and what happens after a person dies. And what you end up seeing in the Talmud is some changes that could have been a response to Christianity. But when he says the later writings, the later prophets, well, Daniel would be a later prophet. I will, I'll agree with that. Uh, I quoted Daniel 12, and that's a later prophet. He's, he's probably about 500 BCE, if you want to, before the common era. Um, and so I could agree with that and say that's one of the later ones. Isaiah is one of the earlier ones, about 750 BC. And this is what he says about the end time, where people go afterwards. And he says in Isaiah 66, verse 24, and they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who rebelled against me, for their worm shall not die, and their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abomination of all flesh. So what you end up seeing there is you see that he's saying, uh, Isaiah, that this is eternal. John, you had a question. I, I just actually just wanted to say for, for listeners, what exactly is the Talmud? Kind of a, a brief Good. idea of what, what that is. Good point. Some people have not read my book, What Do They Believe? And they don't know what the Talmud is. <laughs> Shameless plug, I admit it. But the Talmud is a Jewish document that is written by rabbis. And in Judaism, you have a couple of different authorities. Okay, you have the written authority. We often think of it as the Old Testament. It'd be called the Tanakh. And the Tanakh is basically what we would call as Christians the Old Testament. But more than that, you also have a oral law, and that's called the Midrash. You, you have a lot of mysticism in there, but the belief is that there was this written law given to Moses and an oral law given to Moses, and eventually it got written down. Now, both of them have a commentary. The commentary for the oral law, or Midrash, is called the Mishnah. That's a, a commentary that is used to explain the oral law. Um, and, and then you have the Talmud. And the, the Talmud would be this commentary that we have from the rabbis explaining what the law means. And it was written over a period of about 700 years by numerous scholars. Now, one of the things, there's actually two Talmuds. In case people want to know, there's a Palestinian one and a Babylonian one. They were composed, you know, shortly before the time of Christ till about four or five hundred years after Christ. And one of the things that's important to know is that the Talmud is a redacted work. 
What does that mean? It means that Rabbi Ben Shapiro may come along and write, I don't think he's a rabbi, but just for the example, Rabbi Ben Shapiro comes along and he writes about 10 pages on a topic. I come along, you know, Rabbi Andrew, and I take his 10 pages. I summarize them into maybe five pages. I write three more pages of my own. Rabbi John over here, he comes along, he takes what Rabbi Ben said, condenses that down to maybe three pages, takes what, I, yeah, <laughs> takes what I said, condenses it down to two pages. He writes 12 pages of his own because he thinks his words are more important. Rabbi Vincent over there comes along and does some more condensing, takes Rabbi Ben down to one or two pages, takes me to a paragraph, takes John and Rabbi John realized, well, Rabbi John really wasn't saying anything of much value anyway. So all those pages he did got into just two paragraphs. And and then he goes off and adds another couple of pages. That's what a redacted work is. So now what that means though, is that when you do stuff like that, it's the later writings, the, the later editions that you're going to have. In an ancient work, you lose some of those earlier ones. This becomes an authority. And really, when we look at what Orthodox Judaism believes today, much of it is really based on the Talmud, which is what is sometimes referred to as rabbinic law. And so that's going to be an important thing. This is where most Jewish people today, uh, or Orthodox Jewish people, are going to find their authority. Um, and I'm saying Orthodox for a reason. People who, and, and I'm sure that Ben Shapiro would, would end up agreeing that people who are, are not Orthodox are not really, they're not seeking to follow this, the Jewish religion as much. Even when we were conservative, we were going to synagogue. The kids at least would go weekly. We always went on the high holy days. But it's kind of in Christianity, think about as the CNE Christians, Christmas Easter Christians, those Christians that show up twice a year to, for Christmas and, and Resurrection Sunday. That's the only time you see them in church, and that's about it. So that's sort of what many Orthodox Jewish people would think of for conservative and reformed Jewish people. So, you know, I, and I'm saying that to understand that this is this may be the way that, you know, a Ben Shapiro would look at my upbringing and, and not take me as serious. I fully understand. That's why I invite him on to come in and discuss these things so that we can, you know, if he feels that I'm wrong, hey, let's discuss that. I think it would be beneficial for both the, the Jewish and Christian communities. So when he says about the later prophets in response to Christianity, I don't think that's a, a good and valid argument. One, as I said, the, the Talmud writers would be a response to early Christianity, but not the prophets. I'm going to mark that up as a misspeak. I think that anyone who knows Ben Shapiro knows he's a highly intelligent individual, but I don't know if this... This is a clip from an interview. I don't know the full interview, and I don't know what the context was. Maybe this caught him off guard, and he wasn't ready for it. So I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt on something like that and say that he, he probably was thinking of the Talmud, but none of the prophets, early or later, would have been responding to Christianity in any way because the canon of the Old Testament was closed 400 years before there were Christians. The point I do want to make, though, is that many of the prophets and early writers speak of both Sheol and Gehenna. One of the books that's thought to be the first book of the Bible is the book of Job, and he mentions it several times. In fact, in the Old Testament, Gehenna or Hennem and Sheol are mentioned 78 times in 74 different verses. Just to keep that in mind, there is a number of passages that are referring to the this. So I, I just don't want it to be a thing where, where, oh, it's just the older prophets, the later prophets. This was something that was spoken about early. 
And it takes some development to see that Sheol is a place, not just of the dead, but as Isaiah would say, that this was the dead for eternity, that this was an everlasting death. Now, here'd be the thing. Let's work through this. If what Ben is saying, you have a case that this is a later development that people are responding to the Christian version of, of an eternal punishment. If, if he is saying that in the early writings, like in Genesis, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, Nehemiah, Job, throughout Psalms, I mean, there's a ton of passages in Psalms, Proverbs, okay? Then you have Ecclesiastes, Isaiah, you know, we could go on. All these books are mentioning Sheol and Gehenna. Now, if you're going to argue that it used to be that the the view that this is something just in the later, then what you'd be saying is that in the early years, the prophets said that this was something that was not a eternal thing. But then by the time of Isaiah and Daniel, it's viewed as eternal. Well, one, I don't think that'd be a good argument against Christianity, as he's arguing that this is a later edition. This is a later edition than in God's word. It is God who wrote the, the book of Daniel through Daniel and says that there's eternal life and eternal contempt. That's that's God's words. That's not my words. That's not someone else's words. That's God's words. Uh, Isaiah, this is God saying that this will be a, a fire that shall not be quenched, that he's describing a shall not die. He's making it clear this is everlasting, as Daniel says. So to say that it's a, a later response, this is throughout the Bible. So he's he's emphasizing that Sheol's a place of the dead, but this death doesn't stop. It doesn't end. Let's continue. Yeah, in, the, in the Bible itself, there's no reference. In the Torah, there's no right. reference to the afterlife so what, what, what at do you all. Think? Okay. In the Torah, there is no reference to the afterlife. I've already mentioned that Genesis 37, 35, Genesis 42, 38, Genesis 44, 29, Genesis 44, 31, Numbers 16, 30, Numbers 16, 33, Deuteronomy 32.22. Those passages all refer to Sheol. And so when you say that there's no references in the Torah, there are seven references in the Torah. I don't want to say that he is wrong. I want to say that he's going to argue, if, if we were to have a discussion, he would probably argue that Sheol is just a reference to a place of the dead and not a place of eternal death. But you can't take those passages and then ignore what the prophets say when they refer to this as this death as being an eternal place. So it is mentioned in the Torah. Hell is not. I'll grant you that because that's that's something you're going to see in a different language. It's not in the Hebrew. And so we, we wouldn't argue that way. But the terms Sheol and Gehenna are terms that we would see in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, and that are described as a place of death. And how is it described afterwards throughout? And I, I try to just focus on these two passages for a simple reason. Daniel 12.2 and Isaiah 66. 24 for a very simple reason. I don't want to give you tons of passages and confuse you. You could look just those two up because they're clear enough. John? Yeah, he just said, though, that there is no afterlife. You know, I do a, a word search of heaven in the Old Testament, and it's all over the place. I mean, what? <laughs> it's it's ridiculous that he's saying that there's no afterlife. What, what does a Jewish uh, believer have to look forward to then? 
Well, I, I think, I think, and, and I could be wrong. I don't want to speak uh, for Ben Shapiro, but I will, I will take it, the defense for him and say that I, I think what he would be saying is that he's speaking of the afterlife specifically of those that are not believers, not Jewish people. Uh, the, I think that the common understanding in Judaism is that there is, um, for the Jewish person, for sure, a world to come. And that's how it's, it's usually referred to in the Talmud is as the world to come. They do see a Gehenna that is for a punishment. There's some different discussions within the Talmud, but there, I think what he's referring to there is an eternal. I, I, I think he may have, again, I don't have the full context, the full of, context of this interview. I'm sure the interview went more than five minutes, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say he wasn't prepped for this. And and that's why I'd say, hey, come come on, prep for it. Let's discuss and do this in a manner where you can better represent uh, the position you have, because I I understand that he's he's I or at least I'm assuming he's not fully, uh, in, you know, ready for that. And maybe he was, and and I'm wrong. But I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna give the benefit of the doubt un, until I hear otherwise. So let's keep going. We're only 30 seconds in and, and five minutes to go. It happens after the death of your body. So, I mean, I only have suspicion because, again, uh, unverifiable. My suspicion is that if there, if there is uh, who exists outside of time and space and that what animates me is that I'm made in the image of God and that what animates my capacity is that I'm made in the image of God, that I reunify with God. That basically, there's a, the, the traditional Jewish take on this has been that there's a cleansing process. Judaism doesn't believe in eternal hell. So it's instead this idea that there's a cleansing process for your, for your soul, the part that you got from God, that spark of life that you got from God. You've schmutzed it, schmutzed it up all your life, and now there's a cleansing process, and, then, and that's what hell is, sort of. Uh, and then you are reunited with God, and you have greater understanding. Uh, the idea of me being a distinct personage outside of my body, I think, is, is a difficult one. Uh, that's that's my own personal. So you don't think about. you're physically resurrected uh, into heaven with God? No, yeah. I think I think that it's, something like a soul or energy or consciousness or something. Like yes, that. Yeah. yes, uh, a form like an Aquinas right. form, right? right. But yes, right. I, I think that th- those are actually two different things in Judaism as well. Like the the idea of tichiat hametim, which is the idea of resurrection of the dead. Uh, that's a different idea than what happens after you die, right? right. Tichiat hametim is the idea that eventually a Messiah comes that we'll all be resurrected back in our physical bodies at a certain point. Which you know, honestly, given the nature of how science is moving and, and the possibilities of cloning, is, is actually less crazy than it, than it sounded probably a couple of thousand years ago. Yeah, <laughs> I debunk most of the modern, you know, the singularity. I mean, we're going to upload everybody to the cloud. <laughs> this is not going to happen. No, definitely I mean, not. That's, good to, that's good to know because I just feel like the computer would be really weird. It's, it's weird to live inside a computer. But... Or, or that we're living in the in a computer now, but there's no buffering or you know little pixels that are going off. Every there. so often when I'm just staring <laughs> off into space, it's because... But, but while I got you here, I, I want to push you on something. Mm-hmm. Uh, First of all, he, he's giving his own opinion. Fine. That's good. It's good to have an opinion. But notice he didn't provide really this, what the scriptures say. This is where it's important. He's stating this. We're going through what the scriptures are saying, and we could build the argument that there is an eternal life from scripture, that there is very clearly, and again, stick just to Daniel 12 too, because you'll, that's the only verse you need to see that there's clearly some who are going to awake. He was talking about the resurrection, right? Well, many of those who sleep, those are the dead, in the dust of the earth, clearly, they're sleeping where? Dust of the earth. They're dead. They're in the ground. Shall awake. What is that? That is the resurrection. They awake some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. So you have both. You have the, you don't have just the everlasting life. You have both clearly taught 
in the Bible, in God's word. So God's, I, 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 don't, I don't know how to say this without seeming like I'm uh, being very critical of Mr. Shapiro, but God disagrees with him. I will take God's word over the word of any man any day. Vincent. Okay. First, uh, observation-wise, it seems like both of these guys are have a very materialistic view of of the body and and what that means to be resurrected. Like, you know, the conscious their consciousness can be implanted into a computer, and and that would be weird. And I, I just it's a weird view that they have of this whole subject from my point of view. Um, I want to say more, but I think we'll I'll wait till later into the. Discussion. Okay. On the issue, this first thing, he's going to now change into a, the topic that we're going to address of it, whether Jesus was Messiah. But on this, just to point out, I hope that it became clear through this that the scriptures are clear that there is a, a eternal life and death. There is a life hereafter. After we die, we will continue to be conscious. And some of that's going to be with, as he said, with the knowledge of God and we're going to be with him, but others are not. It's going to be a contempt. It's going to be described as a fire that can't be put out. So let's continue with, with this interview. And I'll have the link for this in the show notes. You know, my Christian friends and people that I debate, particularly on the resurrection, you know, they have a whole series of arguments. You know, if you just followed our reason, you would accept Jesus as your savior. And my answer to this is the great Jewish rabbis who are smarter than you and I sitting here, they've gone through all these arguments. Why don't, why don't they accept Jesus? Why don't you accept Jesus? as oh. Okay, so the, the Okay, before you get oh, to that. That kills me because that's not what we, that's not how we're, anyone's converted from our view. And that just kills me that, that a, a, a persuasive argument could be what converts someone. Okay, so let, let's deal with that, right? So the issue is that Christianity does not believe, what we would say biblical Christianity would not believe that the, that the world has an evidence problem, that someone can convince someone into the kingdom, that someone could give really good arguments and they're going to believe it. We would argue that somebody is has a spiritual problem, that they're an enemy of God, they're, they rebel against God. Now, he speaks, uh, Ben Shapiro mentioned the spark of life, and there is this view in, in Judaism that you have a spark of life that helps you really get salvation in a sense. And they're going to talk about a sin nature just as being an evil impulse. Okay. So just keep that in mind that that's the, the view. He doesn't have a view of a sin nature. In Christianity, we would view this as that we all, every single human being has a sin nature. We, we're enemies of God. We rebel against God and we, we're fighting with God. And, and as it says in Romans 1, um, for his, in, speaking of God, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling immortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And what you see is that what Paul argues in, Rome, in, in Romans is that they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's the argument. This, this Jewish man who's asking this question, he's suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. He, he knows he could, he could see the things. He's living in a materialistic world. He's going to say he believes in a God, a God, 
but not the God of the Bible. Now, he's going to say, well, the God of the Old Testament. Well, the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God as the God of the New Testament. And there's no difference there. So the reality is that I would say that it's not an evidence problem. It's a spiritual problem. And the reason someone doesn't believe is not because they just needed really good evidence. It's because they needed repentance. And that comes from God. But let's hear what Ben says. The reason that I don't accept Jesus as the Messiah is because I think that a lot of the arguments in fa- So Jesus as the Messiah is a different figure than anything that exists inside Judaism. So when people say that the, the Judaism predicts the, the coming of Christ, uh, the, the change in the nature of what Christ is, what a Messiah would be, is different from Judaism to Christianity. So Judaism never posited that there would be God come to form in physical form, come to earth in physical form, and okay. then, you know, acting out in the world in, in that way. Okay, so let's address that. I would argue the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament has always positioned this. And I, I think that in the Talmud, reacting to Christianity, there you see the Messiah really start to change in the view. The, we do believe that the uh, response of early Judaism, early Second Temple Judaism, and I'm going to make a distinction I've, uh, between first early uh, biblical Judaism and Second Temple Judaism. When the Jews were in captivity, returned to Judaism, built the Second Temple, uh, Judaism became, I, I think, much more legalistic. It did cure the Jews of ever following after idols again, which was the purpose of sending them off into being captives of the Babylonians and, and all that. So that was cured. But they ended up becoming, I think, more legalistic. And they looked at the Messiah being under occupation of Babylon, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, as a political leader who would lead them. And I think that's the reason many Jews of that day missed the Messiah, because they weren't looking for God in flesh. But does the Bible say that? Well, Isaiah chapter 9, uh, let me read this, uh, a little bit of a longer portion, but it is something that I think worthy to read. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Who have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as you as with the joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulders, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for fire. For to us a child is born and to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Now, I want to stop there and say, many are going to say, well, this this is the political Messiah, that the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So if this Christ-like figure who would be a political ruler is called Mighty God, I'm just saying that sure seems like that's God, because that's exactly what the text says, that this is God. I say that to say that we can't just skip over this and ignore it. He is clearly saying that this is a reference to to God, okay? This would be blasphemy. Now, let me get even more specific. In Jeremiah 23, 
verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and execute justice and righteousness in the land. Now, I don't have the time to go into all the Old Testament to show how this king of David would be an everlasting king, which his kingdom would begin and never have an end. That can only be God who's never going to have an end in a kingdom in that sense. But here's the real thing with this. This branch of David, this king that he's going to raise up for David. Here's what's interesting is verse 6. In the days of Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. Now they're going to say that is the Messiah. This is what it is, where Israel dwells securely. And if they're going to argue that this is a political leader, well, he's a political leader that rises up from the line of David. And it says, if we continue in verse 6, and this is the name by which he will be called Jehovah or Yahweh Sikhanu, the Lord our righteousness. This is blasphemy if it's not speaking of God. So I disagree with Ben. I think that this was something in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh, where we see there is references that this branch of David, this eternal king, would be called God. Again, I only want you to focus on two verses, Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6, and Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Just focus on those. I think those refute what he just said. And again, no offense, he's a, he's a brilliant man, but he's nowhere near God. And I'm going to put God's word above man's word any day, whether Christian or Jewish. Uh, I was going to also point out that, isn't it true that most Jewish rabbis won't even speak of Isaiah 53 or any other verses. Well, that we pertain. haven't gotten there yet. Okay. Let's continue with Ben. Judaism posits that God is beyond space and time. Occasionally he intervenes in history, but he doesn't take physical form. It's one of the key beliefs of Judaism, actually. Isn't right. it? Okay. He doesn't take physical form except for in the book of Genesis when he sees Abraham and he appears and eats bread. He took on physical form, uh, except for the time with Jacob and he wrestles with God, so he says, all night long. Who walked um, in the garden with Adam and Eve? Correct. Who was, who was in the fire with Daniel's three friends? You see, we end up seeing that God does take on physical form throughout the Old Testament. Corporeal God. Uh, so that means that it's, it's a, the, the idea is, is actually foreign to Judaism of, of a merged God-man uh, who then is, who is God in physical form, then dies and is resurrected and all this. this is, it's, a, it's just a different idea that exists in Judaism. So you're not waiting for the Messiah to come. Right. He's not coming. In the, in so the I'm, waiting, I'm waiting for the Messiah to come in the form of a political figure, right? So the, so the, the Messiah in, in Judaism is a guy who's going to come back and is going to establish peace in Israel and is going to assure that, that you know, there's, a, there's sort of a happier world with a bunch of political aspects to it. So he's looking for Donald Trump. Okay, let's not go there. Who could this Messiah be? Let's find out. As explained by Maimonides. But he's going to die too, right? He's not going to come back and then everybody lives forever and, and any so of that kind of stuff. He's a corporeal agent. He's just like us. Right. 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 And the, 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 in the Jewish view, any person could be the Messiah. Any Jew can be the Messiah in the Jewish view. Right. right? So I could be it. Who knows? But it's, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> okay. Can any Jew be the Messiah? No, actually. Any Jew can't be the Messiah. He has to, there's some restrictions. Had to be of the line of David. Had to be born in Bethlehem. There, there was some rules on Messiah, but I don't think it, I agree. I don't think it's Ben Shapiro. I'm not. But, yeah, anyway, to but, but, but that's, that's a different yeah. view uh, than, than the Christian view. So the argument typically made to Jews by Christians on this is that Jews are, it's forecast by the Bible. 
Right. Um, and that's and for Jews, we, we have a whole different read when you read the Hebrew about why this may or may not be true. The Christians saying the Old Testament predicts it's going to come. So right. I disagree. Well, I, I just, okay, so I'm going to read this, and I want to see if this seems like it predicts it. But this is Isaiah chapter 52, starting in verse 13. A little bit of a longer, we're going to go a little long on this podcast, but we could address all of this. And I want to read these longer portions because I want the context to be given for folks who hear a verse and don't go look it up. Isaiah 52, verse 13, and I'll read all of 53. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to what has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one for whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we exalted him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried out our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed with our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has led on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment. He was taken away. And for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of many people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him and he has put him to grief." When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I do this often. I read that on the streets and I ask people, who is that talking about? Even Jewish people, they say it speaks of Christ it's because Jesus. it is the description of what happened at his judgment, 
at his cross, at his resurrection, the, the burial. Um, you can look at Psalms 22. I won't take the time to look at that. But that describes in detail what happened at the crucifixion. Now, yeah. here's the thing. At the crucifixion, Jesus Christ said these words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, many people go into what does he mean by that? How did God forsake him? That God turned his back on him? That somehow Jesus stopped being God? That's not what happened. In Judaism, before you had or numbers and for chapters, you'd have Psalms, you would have references, and a Psalm would be referenced by its first verse. So if you want to refer Psalm 22, you refer to it by the first verse, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? If you read through all of this, that it, it talks about him being poured out like water, his bones being out of joint, being pierced in, it, in his hands and his feet, you know, you read through all that and you see that he was describing exactly what was happening at the crucifixion. So when Christ was on the cross, he was referring to Psalm 22 and you read through that and that is a depiction of the cross. That depicts exactly what he went through. And so that's why so many people say that it's clear that the, that the prophecy that the Messiah would be this thing. And it's the reason, as John said, that many Jewish people do not read Isaiah 53. When you go through your temple readings, you have Basically, throughout the year, you have set different temple readings. And anyone who's bar mitzvahed on that day, you have that temple reading. Can but I say real fast that on I've read a lot that uh, prior to the Dead Sea Scroll findings, a lot of people just doubted Isaiah 53 because they, they thought it was a later edition. But Dead Sea Scrolls kind of silenced that issue. Well, the Dead Sea Scrolls did a whole lot because Isaiah, we find word for word the same. Many people thought Daniel had so much prophecy, I mean, detailed prophecy of the Medo-Persian. Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, people thought there is no way this could be. And what you end up seeing is they thought there was later versions of Daniel. So there was an early Daniel, a later Daniel. Then we have the Dead Sea Scrolls. Oops, nope, there was one Daniel. There was one Isaiah. And they disagreed with those two. They want to say there was more Isaiahs and more Daniels, later ones, later writers, because of the amount of prophecy that was in... Uh, accurate prophecy. To accurate, honest. detailed prophecy that liberal Christians would argue that there were later writings up until the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls. It silenced a lot of that yeah, so i just find that fascinating a lot that that is one of the great things that did come out of the dead sea scrolls is people don't realize how it validated a lot of things oh yeah and and it argues against the view that many had that the the bible was changed over over a period of time dead sea scrolls predated the earliest copies earliest manuscripts that we had of the old testament by a thousand years without change that's the thing we end up seeing that the, the the changes that are supposedly happened didn't happen it's almost a, like the supernatural being is protecting this stuff huh Ooh, crazy idea actually a lot of what it is and uh, I, I don't want to get into this it's fascinating to see how the the jewish scribes would copy and ma make the copies and the detail that they had in yeah making sure that it was was accurate so um let, let, let's see if we can finish this up with ben disagree because i mean i think a lot of the a lot of these verses that are cited are actually misreads of the hebrew so actually i, I read hebrew so, okay. it's, so i think All that right. uh, but that but you know again i i that's not to disclaim the even in the jewish view the impact of christianity on world history right yeah so that's not, a different question right? we're just talking about the ont ontological question right. is there a god out there if, and is there a jesus a messiah in physical form right so i have, I have actual beliefs that run counter to the idea of god taking physical form as a human being because i think that that leads to a lot of weird 
yeah, side effects. It sure does. Okay. So I'll agree with him that, you know what? There's, there's a lot of weird things that I can't explain in the incarnation, God becoming a man, taking on a human form. There's a lot of weird things that I can't understand in God being one being in three persons. But guess what? God doesn't submit to me, Mr. Shapiro. This is an argument I make with Muslims all the time because they're going to argue that that Christianity is wrong because they put it up to their ability to reason. And I'll ask this question of Ben Shapiro. Is God greater than your ability to understand him? My guess is you would say yes. I can say yes. Any Muslim I ask says yes. And the reality is what you've just done is submitted a God that says he must be to your ability to understand, not the God of Scripture, not the one that says that this Messiah would be mighty God, that he would be Yahweh Sikhanu, that he'd be the God of righteousness, that he'd be an eternal king. When we look at this, then I argue that God is greater than our ability to understand him. It's one of the first things I teach when I teach theology is the attributes of God. And the first attribute I always start with is that God is incomprehensible. He is greater than our ability to understand him. What he's revealed to us, that we can know, but that's the limit. We cannot understand the full nature of God. We can only understand God in the limit that he has revealed himself to us and given it to us in written form. We can understand some things, as Romans 1 says, as some, uh, I think it's 14 or 19, I forget which one, uh, says that we can understand him from creation and have an understanding of him from Psalm 19, that we can understand that the heavens declare the glory of God. We can understand some things about him, but he is fully known as best as we can understand him in his revealed text, the scriptures, the Bible, what you'd call the Tanakh, what we'd call both Old and New Testament. Here's the thing. I would never, ever, ever want to submit the nature of God to my sinful, flawed, limited human knowledge. Ben, you're smarter than me. I'll grant that. I I have 160 AIQ. I think you're probably smarter than me. I'm not even going to debate that, right? You're wickedly smart. You're great in debates. But God is so much more infinitely intelligent than you or I could ever be. Someone with a 200 IQ doesn't even come close to the infinite knowledge that God has. We cannot fully understand God. And to say that this can't be true because it gives a weird view of you for that you have of God. I, I just want you to realize that I think you limit God when you do that. You say that God has to be something you can comprehend. So, uh, just some thoughts for you, Mr. Shapiro. Think about that. Yeah, like my Christian friends, you know, well, you're resurrected in heaven. Well, how old am I? I mean, physically resurrected. Yeah, thirty. You know, some of them say you're thirty because that was a, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> Jesus was thirty when you know. And so, uh, never but, heard that know, argument. I'm sixty-three by the way. now. So, what happens to all the memories I have of the last thirty-three years? Do they go into the brain? Yeah, no, the these, are, these are definitely puzzling questions, yeah, that, and yeah. which is why I don't believe in that version uh, right, of heaven. Right. But, okay. but I'm curious, by the way, that. So that is the end of that. And what you end up seeing with, at the end, I think it got a little bit, I think almost ridiculous in, in the argumentation given because he's arguing, oh, what happened to, I, I'll be at 30. And so the, the next 33 years are gone. No, uh, that's not the argument anyone would make. Actually, the argument that we make is that all of your memories are going to be without a, the influence of sin. And so I think without a failed body, you're going to remember all of it. And I think that you're going to have a better understanding. I think that what you see here is there is really a, a lack of understanding on both these gentlemen parts of what Christianity actually teaches. I hope that as you see throughout this podcast, I, I try not to misrepresent 
isn't someone else's position. And I, I hope if, if Ben Shapiro sees this, that he'd say, you know what? He, he accurately represented what I believe Judaism is, even though he disagrees with it. That, that'd be my hope. That I, I would disagree. I think that Second Temple Judaism disagrees with what the Bible says. Ben Shapiro would disagree with me. Fine, let's discuss that. But the thing is, I hope that I accurately represented what Second Temple Judaism does believe, Judaism of today does believe. And I, I want to give benefit of the doubt where I can. But I think they misrepresent Christianity. And I, my challenge would be this. If you, Ben, want to disagree with the Christian view of Jesus as the Messiah, take the time to properly understand it and accurately explain it. I think that'd be fair. And I think in any debate that you've had with Muslims or politicians, uh, pro-life issues, you seem to try to accurately represent other positions on other topics. This is one that I think I could be wrong. It seems almost as if you're falling back on the rabbis. And I'm not sure how much of the study of the Christian view you have done on your own. And so I can't speak to that. I, I don't know. Uh, it's pure, literally, I'm saying this is pure guesswork on my part of how much you may have or may not have done. Um, but I do want to say that I, I don't want to take it for granted that there, there is something that we have to understand. We both can't be right about Jesus. We could both be wrong, but only one of us could be right. Let me say this. What we, re we read Isaiah 53, what you see there is that when the, the Messiah would suffer and take the iniquity of the sin of the people, it speaks in, in Daniel. When you look at Daniel in the 70 weeks, if you're familiar with that prophecy in, in Daniel chapter 9, in 24 to 27, and he talks about this prince that is going to come. And what does it say about that? There, there's 70 years, and when this Messiah comes in his, the final stage, that last week, it will finish the transgression. It'll be an end to sin and an atonement for iniquity to bring everlasting life. That's what you end up seeing. That's what we believe Jesus came. He came as an atonement for sin to be that payment and that he will return where the, the Jewish people will recognize him and see that he was pierced for them. And then they too will believe. But we don't know when that will be. And many, many, many Jewish people will die and have to give an account for violating God's law. It's not just an evil impulse that they have. They have a sin nature. They are born with a nature that is a sinful nature. And I, I, I want Ben and, and other Jewish people to hear that for this one reason. I want you to know that there is a day appointed unto man once to die and then a judgment. And because of that, I want you to know the good news of why the Messiah came, why Jesus came. And so I want you to hear what the Christian message is, because I don't know if you heard it before. So here's what the Christian message has been. The Christian message is this. Every single person, as I read in, in Isaiah, all of us have fallen away. All of us have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. Those are Old Testament passages that we have sinned, that we have broken God's law. And in doing so, God is a just judge in Psalm 711, 712, maybe in the Hebrew Bible, that God is a just judge and angry with the wicked every day. God is going to judge because he's infinitely holy and infinitely just. There is a consequence to sin. And as I, we went through here, that consequence will be eternal. As Isaiah 66, 24 says, and as Daniel 12, 2 says, that will be eternal. But as Isaiah 53 says that Christ came to be a payment of sin and that he not only died as a payment of sin, but he died, was buried and resurrected from the dead. That resurrection was a vindication that he was 
God. And in doing so, that he rose from the dead so that he not only proved that he was God, but he proved that he can offer the forgiveness of sin, that he has the right to offer that and that we can have forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ. So we stop trusting doing the Torah, doing good works. Stop trusting our Judaism as a, as a birthright to get us to, to have a right state with God. It's not by our, our genealogy. It's not by the works we do. It's not by wishing ourselves into heaven. It is by what God did on that cross when God himself became a man, died in our place, and rose from the dead. That is the gospel message. And the importance of it is this, because many people believe in a man-made religion where human works carry the day, where human works are what we ultimately look to as, as getting us right with God. Human works will not do that. Comparing a human work to God dying and being an eternal being and suffering an eternal consequence, there is no comparison. It is disingenuous to have human works compared to God's work. So my challenge to, to Ben Shapiro or anyone listening who does not know Jesus Christ, my challenge to you is to repent and believe and trust in Jesus Christ today. Don't trust your good works. Don't trust your wishful thinking. Don't trust your genealogy. Trust in God alone, Jesus Christ, who died for you, that you can have eternal life. Vincent, you had more you wanted to add. I do. And especially when it comes to, like we, like you've been saying, intelligent people like Ben Shapiro. It usually comes down to our presuppositions in, in, in all things, no doubt. You know, We can get deep on all the, the presuppositions and, and the epistemologies that we have. But So the big difference I see in all of this is that, yeah, we our, our presupposition is Christ, Jesus is God. And we're going to start at that, that foundation that Christ is God and that we interpret the Old Testament in light of the New. The new we have further revelation. It has made, illuminated what the Old Testament actually says. So... So yeah, that's going to be a big, big argument there because, you know, you come with someone like Ben Shapiro who, well, he's just going to deny our presuppositions and that that's going to be a probably an argument where you have to fight presuppositionally on, on, on a lot of these issues because I just think when you have two people coming at from two different starting points, we that's always going to be a, a starter. You know, a, a we had to get that first out of the way before you move on to other things. At least from my experience, dealing with a lot of people. I mean, a lot of a lot of it applies to atheists and other religions. And I'm just saying that I see a lot of foundational differences presuppositionally yeah. and maybe too deep on this but i, I just that, listening to him it's like man he has a whole different starting point so exactly and is and as you guys said it's a more materialistic one i should say this i did do some checking while we we're going through this the, the longer interview and i'll, I'll put a, a link to that maybe as well is from uh, michael Shermer's sunday special episode six um it's an hour long uh and the, the content the topics it says here the description is does god exist do socialites thrive under a religious influence ben shapiro and noted atheist michael Shermer debate uh christians christianity's role in cultural advancement on the episode of the Sunday special. So, so they, they were talking the existence of God and things like 
that when this came up, just to give that. The good news is Striving for Eternity would love to come to your church to spend two days with your folks teaching them biblical hermeneutics. That's right, the art and science of interpreting scripture. The bad news is somebody attending might be really upset to discover Jeremiah 2911 should not be their life verse. To learn more, go to strivingforeternity.org to host a Bible interpretation made easy seminar in your area. Striving for Eternity is a Christ-centered ministry focused on equipping people for eternity, and they provide speakers and seminars that come to your church with expertise in theology, hermeneutics, world religions, creation science, evangelism, presuppositional apologetics, church history, and expertise in sexual abuse in the church. For details on their seminars and to request a speaker for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. Striving to make today an eternal day for the glory of God. Do want to give some some shout outs. We got some reviews in iTunes. And folks, if you want to leave an iTunes review, we'd appreciate it. There's a link in the show notes. Just go to iTunes, search for Rap Report. We got a couple new ones. Theology Gal said, Andrew does a great job addressing a variety of subjects from a biblical perspective. Um, that's because I'm Baptist, Theology Gal, just saying. <laughs> She's a Presbyterian. <laughs> so she has a, a great podcast called Theology Gals. And uh, that is the, the Reformed Gal is uh, none other than the Colleen Sharp. Uh, Eric Bennett left a review striving for attorney ministries is a beacon uh, in in the dark seeking to reach the lost andrew is very knowledgeable and loves the lord i would love to go to jersey fire one day and do some street witnessing check out the rap report on itunes we just had we've renamed actually the jersey fire it's called equip jersey we just had it recently uh, very glad to see we've changed the way we've done it it's a lot more discipleship oriented so we're trying to keep it a little bit smaller now basically we're trying to get more hands-on discipling so we're really looking forward to that uh, if you haven't signed up for our newsletter, I encourage you to go out to strivingforeternity.org, get our newsletter, because in there you find out everything that's that's happening. And some of the things that are happening are some of the events coming up next weekend. Uh, Dr. Anthony Silvestro and myself will be in New York, and we will be with ministry called Christian Collegian Network, and they're going to have what they call their Repent and Witness Evangelism Camp. It is an intense camp where it is basically four full days of evangelism. We will do some training in the mornings. We start at about eight in the morning, train until noon, and then from noon, we get on the subway, and that's when the evangelism starts, and we actually go till two in the morning. So it is 14 hours of evangelism. Wow, that sounds like too much for many. That's okay. We've, we allow some people to go back early. Uh, there are many who don't do the night evangelism. We, they have dinner, return back to the, to the uh, place we stay and call it a night. Uh, but there are many of us who go out for the full 14 hours. Uh, coming up is going to be the Equip NorCal Conference. That's going to be September 14th and 15th in Redwood City, California. Speakers will be myself, Dr. Anthony Silvestro, Mark Spence will be joining us on Friday night. And that is going to be at, at Grace Bible Church, uh, gracebibleonline.org, I think is their website. Then we will have a, another couple conferences. we got a conference coming up uh, that following weekend. I will be speaking 
at uh, September 21st and 23rd in Coronation, Washington. And then uh, that's going to be on my book, What Do They Believe? We're going to look at the different religions there. I will also be speaking in Mount Laurel, New Jersey at Mount Laurel Evangelical Free Church. The topic will be on evangelism, and that is at the South Jersey Apologetics Conference. I was a keynote speaker last year, and I have the privilege of being that again this year. Um, I will also be doing the Ambassador Evangelism Seminar in Northern Idaho, October 12th to the 14th, well, 12th and 13th, and I'll be speaking on the 14th, and that's in Cooney, Idaho, uh, Cooney Community Church. Uh, I, I'm probably butchering that. I know that's in northern Idaho near Sandpoint. So if you are anywhere in those areas, I encourage you to come out and uh, we will be there speaking at those different events. We have more that we'll add. We will be, as, as we're still working on updating the website, we're going to be adding that in. Encourage you to listen to the podcasts at the Christian Podcast Community. You can actually just on your podcast catcher, go to Christian Podcast Community and you will catch all of them. If you want to get everything that's on there, you can go to that one and it downloads everything. And right now we have two podcasts on this one that you're listening to now, The Rap Report, and also Theology Answers with Pastor James Tippins. But some more are coming. And if you go to ChristianPodcastCommunity.org, you'll see that we have Theology Gals is going to be joining us shortly. We have Justin Peters is going to be joining us shortly. And a couple of others to be named in well closer to september just saying uh we have a lot planned in september there's going to be you're going to start seeing some others like theology gals and justin starting up in september and a couple of others that will be very exciting i know for not a fact the guys not the guys from theology driven right no i i you know the guys from theology oh wait th those are the guys that that do talk theology while just playing a car noise in the background right yes. Yes. you know Every once in a while, you know. Good quality sound there. Yeah, yeah. You know, you get to hear the street ambience while they're, you know, while they're playing. So we can, you know. But no, no, not not that we know of, but hey, if the guys from Theology Driven want to come over, we, we could talk. They're, they're a pretty good podcast. But no, something that I, I'm not going to say yet, but just sufficient to say, knowing you guys at the council, you would be very happy. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to say more. You're going to have to wait till we can announce it, but I'm just saying you're going to be happy. Well, uh, Justin Peters alone is is worth the uh, the admission right there. I mean, so yeah. I'm I'm happy with that. Yeah. Yeah, I, if folks who don't know Justin Peters, you should. I mean, humblest guy I've ever met. Love that brother. So What's the uh, hashtag? Uh you mean for the, <laughs> for, for the contest? The the contest hashtag we're having? Justin Peters? Yeah. So here's here's my encouragement everybody. Seriously, right now. If you're driving, pull over right this moment right now i want you to pull over i want you to go to justinpeters.org go there right now donate to him any amount i don't care a dollar i'd prefer a hundred really love it if you could give a thousand five thousand ten thousand do it give as much as you could give to this brother because he 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 is serving christ shamelessly i can say he is the humblest man i know there's no man i know who is, who deserves it more to get your donation but do me a favor 
give that donation and just in the comments section when you do it, just put hashtag Justin I win. He'll know what that means. What it means is he just lost a contest. He wants to try to outbless me. That's not going to happen. I want all of you to help me bless Justin Peters more than he can ever bless me by trying to give me a couple of his DVDs. Okay. I want you guys to give him so much money in donations that he could never give me enough DVDs to make up for it. So he just has to concede and give up. He's yet to do that publicly. I'm just saying, but he wanted to give me some DVDs. I wanted to pay for it. He didn't want to let me. That's how this started. He threatened to actually fight me. And for folks who don't know, he has cerebral palsy and walks with crutches or rides in a scooter. It would be a bad fight. My jujitsu skills against his crutches, I think I win. Um, but he thinks otherwise. And so one day maybe we'll have that actual fight. We'll see. But so far, I've been winning. Um, I gave him the money for the DVDs. He did send me the DVDs, but I need your help. Go to justinpeters.org donate there and just put hashtag Justin I win. Now, if you have some extra money after that, feel free to go to strivingforeternity.org slash donate and you can donate to Striving for Eternity as well. We could use your support too. Just saying. Uh, we do have a Patreon and the link is in the show notes. If you want to donate there, we're going to try to do a little bit more with that and give some more more interviews and more, more stuff for the Patreons that are there. So with that, I want to close out and just thank you all for listening. Until next week, remember to strive to make today an eternal day for the glory of God. This podcast is part of the Striving for Eternity ministry. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar to your church, go to strivingforeternity.org.